Software Engineering Radio Episode 31 Agile Documentation Welcome everybody to Software Engineering Radio. Before we actually start with uh, today's program, which is about documenting software, um, I would like to address once again the topic of sound quality. Um, as I mentioned before, um, apart from learning and, and, and establishing best practices, some of the problems regarding sound quality can be fixed with better equipment. In order to help us um, get better equipment, we actually added a donate button to our website. So if you want to support Software Engineering Radio financially, then you can do this now through donations through PayPal. Now, there one thing that's important to me is Software Engineering Radio will stay free and we are not planning on having any sponsors or advertising as of this time. And also we promise that all the money you will donate will be used for buying better audio equipment to get better sound quality. So um, if you want to support Software Engineering Radio, you can actually help us by donating money to the team through the PayPal donate button uh, on se-radio.net. Okay, um, that's that. Uh, let's now go on to the regular program of this episode. In this episode, we are talking about uh, documentation, more specifically about agile documentation. Now, um, probably you might think documentation, I'm not interested in that stuff because I prefer to write code. Um, that's probably one of the main problems in software projects. Um, so documentation is always considered as an afterthought, if at all. So documentation is bad, it looks awful, people don't know how to lay out it, people don't know what to document, how to document, when to document. And in this episode we are trying to clarify some of these things. In order to do that we have a guest, uh, Andreas Rüping. He's uh, the author of a book called Agile Documentation, published by Wiley. You will find details in the show notes. And um, so, Andreas, to get started, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit a little bit about yourself and also about the, the uh, Agile documentation thing. Hello, Marcus. Uh, thanks for the invitation. Hello to all listeners. Um, well, I'm an independent uh, software architect and software engineer based in Hamburg. Um, I'm working on various IT projects. Um, I've been in the business for quite a while. Uh, I'm mostly focusing on, on internet-based architectures these days, web applications, content management, um, and the documentation issue is something I've been looking at for a couple of years now, um, because it comes up in virtually every project, um, regardless of what technology you use. And I've been observing some best practices of what works well in documentation and what doesn't seem to work well. And eventually I started to shape these experiences and these best practices into patterns. And that is how um, this book evolved. It's called Agile Documentation, as you said. And the title comes from the fact that I've been impressed with some of what the Agile methods say about documentation, namely that too much documentation can actually do more harm than good. And um, so I felt that we can learn a lot from, Agile uh, from the Agile methods about uh, what good documentation is and what good documentation isn't. 
Um, I think one important thing to learn from Agile methods is that documentation and understanding is not the same thing. Um, you can document many things, but that doesn't mean you have documented everything that the team has understood. And also, you can read documents, but you won't get all the knowledge that the authors put into the documents in the first place. There's a lot of tacit knowledge in projects, so how do you deal with that? And some of the Agile methods tend to say, let's not document anything at all, which actually isn't correct, because what most Agile methods suggest is that you strip down documentation to what's really necessary and what's useful to document. Um, and um, well, what I did is collect some best practices, collect some patterns, on what kind of documentation is useful, and, um, and also how to shape the documentation that you think is necessary in your project. So um, the book that you mentioned really consists of, of two uh, distinct ideas. And one is to strip down documentation to a reasonable size, and the other is to uh, do the documentation that you decide is necessary in such a way that it's really useful, uh, that is well-readable, comprehensible, and generally worth doing and worth reading. So do you, th I mean, so there are maybe two ways of documenting things. You could say, ah, you know, we, we document many things, but that we document those only in a sketchy form. Um, the opposite approach could be to say, ah, let's document less stuff, but make sure this documentation is actually really nicely done and accurate. Um, any preferences there? Certainly uh, the, the second um, variation. I mean, you could try and uh, do lots of documentation, but don't care for it a lot. But then it would end up probably as, as uh, write-only documents. Well, people take take some time, though not very much, doing the documentation, but no one's going to read it anyway. Uh, so there's really no point doing this. And what I'd recommend is that you thoroughly go through a portfolio of possible documents and decide in your individual project which of these documents are really necessary. And you must really take into account that there are things that are better discussed among the team, and then by the time that someone will read the documentation, they're probably already outdated, so it's not worth documenting them. But if you have decided there's a document you really want, because if you don't do it, people in the follow-up project or in a later project stage will be in real trouble if they don't have the document. If you decide there's a purpose to a certain document, then I suggest that you do it well. So... What constitutes good documentation? What is relevant? What is what is worth being documented? I mean, there is one thing that is probably relatively obvious, and that is user manuals. Uh, so if you have people that should be able to use your system without you sitting next to them, you have to document a couple of things. But um, I, I, I kind of feel that's not the main discussion point. So because it's rather obvious if you need it or not. It's usually deliverable. So how do you determine what to document? Well, that depends on the individual project, and there's no way you can say that uh, in a very um, concrete way, because it's really different from one case to the other. Well, user manuals are necessary because uh, users and the developers are almost 
all cases, uh, different groups of people. So that is the first criterion. Um, if there's information that you want to make available to other people, people outside the development team, and that's something that's worth documenting because uh, the, the knowledge in the team is not necessarily available to them. Um, more generally, you must know who your target audience is. So in, in the case of uh, user manuals, the, the target audience is your users. Um, us, other possible target audiences could be other project teams, so uh, neighboring projects who do a related project where that ties into to your software, the software that you're building, um, or maybe uh, a future team uh, who will work on the, the next version of your project, of your product. Um, also, if you have uh, teams that are dispersed among several places, and you can't address all these people in person, then you need to distribute some amount of documentation. Um, Long-term relevance is important, so lots of information expires rather quickly, um, but some information is likely to be stable over a, a reasonable period of time. Um, design details often change rather quickly, but the design principles, the big picture, and also the design rationale will probably be valuable information even in uh, one, two years, and that's uh, information that's worth maintaining, worth keeping, and worth making available to, to future teams and to, to colleagues and others. Maybe one thing I'd like to add, I, I recently had a customer who was uh, hiring me actually specifically to find out how to document their architecture and um, that was a tough question because they started by writing maybe I think a hundred pages of documents that that explained architectural concepts and and you know interface specification stuff and they found out nobody read this stuff so it was basically useful a uh, useless sorry so um, one way of documenting architectures at least in that case that would have been more successful and which they're hopefully doing now, um, is um, to write tutorials um, and walkthroughs because the audience for which this document was intended wasn't you know, some high-level technical manager in front of whom you want to justify your architectural decisions. Rather, you wanted to communicate to your developers how to ep uh, implement systems based on the architecture. And, and that is not something you can describe by a, a kind of reference document. Rather, you need something that takes a developer on their hand, by their hand, and you know walks through a typical application development scenario. So I guess that's, that comes back to this target audience thing. You need to make sure that you, not, not just the, the stuff you write, but also the way you write it. And the, also, you know, it comes down to writing style. Do you talk in the first person? Do you talk in passive? Um, comes down to whom you want to talk to in the end. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and uh, when I said you need to be aware for the target audiences, the, the first thing to make sure is that there is a target audience. And you don't <laughs> write documentation no one's going to read at all. But the second uh, point to this is, of course, that's what you said, um, that you must adapt your uh, documentation to your specific audience and, and in terms of uh, the vocabulary that you use um, the, the technical terms. Um, it, often it's wise to use quite realistic examples so that uh, the, the people who 
are expected to read the documentation uh, are able to understand it. I think another important thing we should discuss is when do you create documentation? Do you do it at the end of the project when everything's finished? Do you do it as you go? Java doc, for example, is something that you typically do as you go because you, it's part of the API definition. So do you have any ideas on, on when the right time has come to, to write which kind of documents? It really depends on the, on the type of document. There are things that you need to document in advance. Um, one uh, important thing is here um, that... Um, Sometimes you learn something from documenting yourself. Sometimes you gain insight. You commit something to paper and you figure out you haven't understood it really. Uh, that's often the case with specifications. That's often the case with uh, migration concepts. Um, very often this is true with uh, um, things that you need to clarify together with your customer. Because and you, you try to write it down and you find out you haven't understood it properly. So you go back uh, or perhaps ask the, the customer to do a, a review and then you find out what misunderstandings exist. Um, because this will help you in later project stages. It's important to, to do it up front. Um, this doesn't mean that you would have to, to document a specification, for instance, to the to the finest detail, because you, you don't have to. In many cases, it's fine to document only so far so that you can get started. That's perfectly fine with me. But if you think you, you want to commit some of the requirement specification to paper, you should do that up front. And other things... Uh, for instance, uh, a design document, I think that's perfectly fine to do it once the, the, the design has been completed because if you, if you try and uh, document all the design decisions immediately, you keep on documenting your stuff more or less permanently and it uses up so much time and eventually people get bored and lose interest in, in permanent updates and the documentation is likely to end up uh, as documentation that's at least not up to date. Perhaps it's just downright inaccurate or false. So um, it, it really depends. If, if you learn something for the next project stage, uh, you should do it in advance. But if you document something for later project stages, uh, then you, you can... Uh, postpone the documentation and until the design has been completed or the architecture has been completed or even the system is up and running. Uh, do you think uh, it's developer's job to document or do you think um, you should have technical writers, technical authors for doing the documentation or should they at least do the review? Uh, any ideas there? I guess in general it should be the, the, the developers or the designers who should document their own work. I mean, it's, it's, it's just extremely difficult to, to document someone else's thoughts. Maybe it's impossible, I don't know. But it, it's generally, I think it's very difficult. On the other hand, that requires that Joe Developer or James Architect uh, is actually able to produce decent documents. So they should be able to, you know, come up with a good flow of stuff and um, maybe even with a good looking, looking documentation. We will talk about layout and stuff later, but um, 
a cynical question how many of the developers you know are actually good at writing these kinds of things it's a provocative question i guess but um well actually i think this is more than you would think um in almost all projects i've done there were people interested in doing the documentation i, I will admit that there are projects where, where there's no one really willing to do it but i think it's it's not the, the standard uh, situation a comment I'd like to give there before we move on with, with our original uh, uh, plan is what I did a long time ago that was when I still em was still employed by, by a consulting company I tried to write down a couple of guidelines of how my colleagues uh, should do documentation and, and one thing I did was I basically took the pattern form and uh, said, hey, whenever you document something, always start with a the context, then describe the problem you wanted to solve, then describe solution, describe consequences, and then come up with an example. And uh, maybe with a set of additional problems that result as a consequence of your uh, solving the problem. So maybe if you don't really know how to structure a document, if you explain something, maybe take a look at the, at the patterns community's style of how they try to describe common and possibly complex problems and take that as an inspiration for structuring your own um, documents. I found that really very helpful. Yeah, I can imagine that um, because um, often you have, you have a set of templates for, for documents and, and you can go further than just providing a, a standard structure for certain documents. You can even provide a standard uh, table of contents so that this can serve as some kind of guideline to, to the developers so they um, know that they are missing certain areas they should address and it will just help them uh, to, to provide uh, the, the necessary documentation. And on the other hand, what I said uh, at the beginning is it's, it's not necessary to come up with extremely voluminous documents. Actually, that's a bad thing. Let's keep in mind that uh, what we... What I'm recommending it, and, and what, what the Agile method suggests is that you strip down documentation to what's really necessary. And I think this is a, a big pro for the developers who aren't interested in doing documentation stuff for weeks and weeks and weeks because it's not necessary. Uh, there's no benefit to that. So um, the important thing is just to, to uh, maintain the core ideas and that the most important concepts and design ideas uh, so that they are not lost once the team dissolves and um, this requires a certain amount of documentation that's right but I think um, well my experience at least is, is relatively positive well maybe I'm biased because I'm a guy who, who's willing to do a certain amount of documentation though personally I wouldn't like to do documentation exclusively I do want to do designs, I do want to do some programming, but the occasional documentation is fine with me. My experiences, several people feel similarly about this. I have to agree. I, I really like to nicely document something that is nice. If you have a nice design or a nice architecture, writing a nice documentation to walk through is actually fun sometimes. So let's talk a little bit about the structure of uh, good documentation. Um, we already mentioned this pattern form thing, but that's not all. Um, so do you have any recommendations of how to successfully structure uh, documentation so that it's actually nicely readable by, by the potential audience? Well, I think um, there's some, some very simple techniques that can help you a lot. And a very 
simple and easy to implement and it, it don't cost you a lot of time and effort. Uh, one is I think that each document should be preceded by, by some guidelines to the readers just as an example because it will help um, people identify which documents they, they, they should read, uh, what's, what are good things to know and, and what is completely irrelevant to them and their jobs. Some other thing is you could use some, some sort of structure text similar maybe to the pattern form but it could be any other sort of structure text especially when there's some uh, repetitive or systematic information. Also you could use tables for instance. Um, many IT people uh, tend to think in terms of uh, categories and uh, so a table with its rows and columns is sort of natural to, to many IT people and it expresses things in a very clear way and it's very easily done. And diagrams, of course, can be very useful. Um, the drawback here, the flip side is that uh, diagrams are expensive to produce. If you want to do a good diagram, it takes time. There's no way around this. Uh, on the other hand, uh, a picture is sometimes worth more than a thousand words. We all know this. So, um, for for design or for an architecture, um, it does cost you some time, but it probably uh, adds to the quality of the document. If you really want to convey uh, a design idea or the big picture of an architecture, and that's something that's probably worth documenting, the diagram can be extremely useful. I think it's important to point out that diagrams alone usually don't work. Um, when we wrote um, the Remoting Patterns book, where we essentially described the architecture of remoting infrastructures, we um, always had a set of sequence diagrams at the end of each chapter that showed how the various described components get together and in, in, in interaction-wise. And the feedback we got from all our reviewers was, hey, those sequence diagrams are great, but please explain in prose text what they contain. And I thought, huh? You know, can't you read a sequence diagram? But the point is, and I noticed that um, myself, often if you look at the diagram, you kind of stare at it, and you stare at it, and you stare at it, and you see something, but you, you need maybe often something that kind of guides you through the diagram or points you to the hotspots where to look and where to actually focus your attention to. So um, diagrams are, are good as an additional piece of information but I think they shouldn't be used as an exclusive one. Uh, the, the worst case thing is that you say, you know, we have this documentation it's a big rows model, you can browse the rows file with rows. I don't think that's usually appropriate. I agree completely, yes. Um, diagrams are helpful but, but uh, they don't uh, go as a replacement for, for, for your text and I guess you, your readers were uh, certainly able to, to read uh, a sequence diagram, but then the the other question is uh, why is the sequence diagram the way it is? So what I mentioned earlier was the design rationale, and, and why did you come up with this design? And what were the design alternatives, and why didn't you pick other options? This is information that is probably very useful uh, a couple of years later when, when there's going to be a revision of your software, a new version or whatever. So um, this is information that's that's probably useful, but it, it doesn't come out of the diagram. So you need to explain these things. And language is a, a much more powerful concept to, to explain these things than, than a mere diagram without additional information can ever be. Maybe another comment on that, although I maybe shouldn't talk that much. Um, 
if you want to describe a system or an architecture systematically, it's also very important that you yourself, when writing it, agree on a limited set of terms and language. So you have to make sure that you use consistent language and a glossary can maybe help there. So you first define a number of terms. If you do that in the extreme case, you can even draw a meta model to just to refer you back to the model-driven development kind of thing. But being consistent in the terms you use and in the way you describe things is very important because otherwise you'll uh, just uh, confuse the reader. But let's let's go on in, in, in our uh, whatever we try to plan here. Um, so I'd like to elaborate a little bit on um, the question of um, documentation that you basically read on the train or on the toilet or wherever um, versus documentation that you use to look up stuff, Java Doc being the uh, pri prime example. Um, what of the things, which of the things you discussed already are applicable for which of those different kinds? Do you think there is important differences? Is one more important than the other or any opinions there? I think there are basically um, two different ways to uh, well, read any uh, to, to access written material one way is to read it and the other is to browse it as to uh, to really different ways and and uh, reading is what you do with the with, uh, things that are printed on paper and browsing is what you do when you look up information and ideally this is information that's available electronically um, maybe in a web on a wiki in an intranet whatever and I think if you, if you have a, a fully-fledged concept, a design concept, or an architecture description, this probably qualifies for, for a document that can be read. So most people want to, to go through this, go, go backwards and forwards, make annotations to it, and maybe to take it home. So um, it, sh it should be available in a form that allows printing. That's not an HTML page in most cases. On the other hand, things like API specifications um, are just this is just a typical example of what must be available online. I mean, what, when, when do you look up things in, in your in your specification? When do you use Java? Normally, while you're programming, while you're coding, so you you just uh, look things up and must be readily available. Um, of course, there are overlaps. There's, there's no doubt that uh, some documents need to be available both for print and online. And um, this is something you can't avoid, and you need some to do something about it. Which brings us to the discussion about technology and techniques. So should I write my documentation in Word, or do I generate stuff from diagrams, or from rows, or from Java? So do you have any best practice? I know it's probably a complicated topic, but do you have any best practices, suggestions there? Well, um, I guess the thing to understand is that you can generate views, but you cannot generate content. So, um, in many cases, when you say you have some kind of document that you want to make available in one medium, like uh, for, for printing it, you just have to write it, you can't generate it. What you can try to generate is uh, as I said, there are overlaps. If you want one document available both with HTML and for the web, um, this is an option for, for generating uh, one of these views, probably the, the, the web view. And, and also one prominent example of, uh, of uh, 
documentation generation is of course JavaDoc. Everybody knows this. And it's very useful. So, so you have the documentation of the code directly uh, next to the code, but you also have a, a perfect API specification that you could generate and you can browse through. Um, so you, you can apply techniques uh, to generate different views of the same information, but I'm afraid that the, the usefulness of, of uh, documentation generation is, is generally rather limited. Uh, the next thing I would like to talk about is actually some of the uh, layout and, and, and visual properties of nicely done documentation. And um, to, to go a little bit into history, um, the first thing I personally saw from all this uh, documentation work that Andreas was working on was actually a pattern language that talked about how to nicely format documents. And his own papers that he submits to the Europlob and other conferences is, is written using that style, and we'll put a couple of samples in the show notes. And I really, really like that stuff. So I think, that's my opinion, or I would claim, um, if things are nicely formatted, then it's easier for people to actually read this stuff. I really hate it if I have these you know, documents where there's a line spacing probably less than the, the font height and extremely long lines. So I really think you should elaborate a little bit on the best practices that, um, that you came up with with regards to how to nicely format documents. Yes. I mean, admittedly, this is nothing to do with Agile specifically. This is really um, a characteristics of, of good... Uh, documentation, documentation that's well done. There are some general rules on layout and typography. Actually, typography is an art in its in its own right, and there's there's uh, lots of things you could possibly do. Um, but there are also some very simple rules that can easily be obeyed, and that will help you design documents that look much better, and are much more readable. Uh, one is the, the one rule, for instance, is that you shouldn't overuse different fonts. I mean, uh, sometimes uh, documents use like four or five or six different fonts, and that's just very difficult to read. Also, um, it, it's a good idea to use a serif font for as for as, as the main font, not necessarily for the headings, but for for the main text because it's just uh, better readable. And there's evidence for that because people have been doing experiments over m over 50 years now. What, what kind of uh, typography uh, helps readers uh, read the paper and one extreme example is, is for instance, the, the use of, of all capitals. So some people do that to, to point out uh, passages in the text that are supposedly uh, very important. But, but if you use all caps, then it's completely unreadable. And reading takes people up to 20 or 30 percent more time. And the effect is that people won't read it at all. Um, there are other things, like, like you don't uh, Put too much text on one page, but but leave a reasonable margins, etc., etc. And there are some some very simple rules, and I just put those into pattern form and put them into the book. And uh, though it's not exactly, uh, it has nothing to do really with with agile. It's just the characteristics of good documentation in general. But but people seem to like it. And the funny thing is, when I give seminars on, on documentation, this is something that people. Are often really interested in. And also, it comes really cheap. So, uh, as I said, as I mentioned earlier, normally you have some, some templates in your organization for, for doing documentation. Not everybody is supposed to come up with their own 
documentation templates. So what you can do is design your templates to meet at least uh, the most important and most basic topographic rules and, and that will do a lot of good and it's it's really easy easily done it's it's simple and straightforward so two two more of those uh, rules that your patterns that you came up with uh, had to do with line length and line spacing and i find these to be maybe the most important i think you really should mention those well the, if you if you have a line that's really short that's um, that's maybe okay this is what you have in newspapers uh, but you have to go from one line to the next relatively often and you should have reasonably uh, length lines in, in for papers in, in a normal environment, whether you read at home or at your desk. But if, you, if your lines are too long, uh, that becomes easily unreadable because people will confuse the, the lines. This is something that, that happens unconsciously, but you, uh, you can measure the effect. And the, the general rule is to have about uh, two lowercase alphabets uh, on, on one line. So lines should be uh, should allow for two lowercase alphabets. As, as for spacing, um, the, the general rule is that you, the, the spacing should be 120% of the font size. So if you have a 10-point uh, font, then you need 12-point for, for each uh, line. This is something that most word processing systems do correctly anyway, but it's worth checking. Yeah, and as I said, since these are visual properties of documents we're talking about, uh, I'll put a couple of samples, maybe some of the original pattern papers, uh, let's see, maybe, into the show notes. How do you do quality assurance for documents? I mean, ideally you want to write automatable unit tests for documents, probably, but that's, that's not that easy. So, uh, so probably it's about reviews or, or, or proofreading. So any suggestions how to... How to implement that in practice? Well, yeah, I think there's this uh, saying that, that uh, documents need reviews, like code needs testing. Um, well, reviews are a useful technique, obviously. Um, you shouldn't do too much of that. So you you need not review or have every document reviewed. Uh, but at some stage, reviews become necessary. This is true, especially if you if you hand out the documents to your customers so it, I think it's important that someone has looked at a document before you you give it to the customer and um, sometimes uh, the, the review can be done by the customers themselves which is extremely useful because you, you can integrate your customers um, You they get the impression that you take them seriously which is important and you, you probably learn a lot because the experience shows that uh, well, development team and a customer often don't speak the same language, and misunderstandings happen easily. So um, obviously, you'll, you'll have meetings. This is what what the agile methods say. Ideally, customers are on site, and you work on the customer site. But uh, this is to make sure that in, in the the communication between you and the customer, um, you is it straightforward uh, communication and you can rule out misunderstandings as, as quickly as possible. And the same is true for documents. So uh, have them reviewed. Um, the customer reviews are a very useful technique. Um, 
obviously you can ask other people on the team to, to review uh, the designs that you have documented because that will uh, allow you to, to get easy feedback, early feedback on what you've done. Although probably well, a design review, uh, a design document normally captures what has been discussed in the design meeting. So uh, this should probably summarize something to which several people have contributed. But anyway, uh, review is uh, is important for all documents that have reached the stage of uh, somewhat final stage, or at least you want to make them, uh, the document available to a large number of people. So you need to make sure that you don't confuse them by, by, uh, by making inaccurate information available just to telling them things that will rather confuse them and help them. Now we talked a whole lot about um, written documentation. Actually, the whole episode is about written documentation. Do you think it's worthwhile to also explore, explore other forms of documentation and when? For example, you could, instead of documenting a design as a document, you could have two team members uh, standing on the flip chart uh, explaining the design to each other and videotaping that so that new team members can watch this on video instead of reading stuff. Do you have any experiences or opinions on the suitability of these kinds of approaches? I think it's worth trying out. I think it really depends on the individual uh, situation, on the individual project. I mean, there's various things you can do. Videotaping is one thing. The other thing is um, what's relatively easily done. Is at the end of a design discussion, you can take your digital camera and just make uh, copies of, of what's been written on the whiteboard. Um, it's useful to some extent, I believe. Um, it probably captures... Um, only uh, if, as, as far as the, 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 the camera is concerned it just captures the outcome of, uh, of the design and if it's readable if, 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 it's, uh, if, if the quality of the photos is okay then you can probably use it in, in a design document and that's okay um, as, as for video types um, it's, it's a cool idea and, and I like it um, I, I suspect that uh, in many cases it, it's not that easily accessible because people just can't flip forth and back through the pages what they could do with a written document. Um, on the other hand, if, if it's easily done and it captures a really interesting discussion, um, it, it's something I would encourage you to try out. Maybe another thing would be in the next project, actually a good idea, the next project I'm going to be, I'll do the weekly project podcast And in the worst case, uh, project budget must buy everybody an, uh, an, iP an iPod or an MP3 player. No, honestly, I mean, usually in many projects, people have to commute quite a bit to get to the workplace. Why not uh, every couple of days capture a discussion between, I don't know, the architect and the manager and the developer uh, and, and, and try to, to, to come up with uh, information about what people need to know? Uh, that, why not? Come to think of it, it sounds like a good idea. And, and I think a videotype or... Or, or even an MP3 file that captures this question is probably more useful than, than a mere photograph. Yeah, so that's something I'll try on my next project. So um, to, to wrap this discussion up, I think we should close with uh, going back to some of the more uh, agile-related stuff. I mean, both of us and maybe may most of you listeners are probably involved in projects that would probably call themselves more or less agile. So um, the question is, how do you integrate the task of documenting and reviewing and all that stuff into an agile project? So I think we should uh, 
discuss a little bit on, on this topic. Well, what I said in the beginning was um, that it's important to, to strip down documentation to, to what's really necessary. Um, there's no such rule as the more you document, uh, the more you benefit. It's not a linear thing. And the, you should really uh, take care not to document too much but would really be skeptical about the the usefulness of documentation. Um, and I think, on the other hand, you should be aware that that certain amount of documentation is necessary, and you should integrate this into into your project plan. So you should as assign it a budget ultimately. You, you should uh, d d define specify a work package that includes documentation. It should come with responsibility. So who's in charge? Not just not not everybody, not nobody, just one person. Um, it, there should be a deadline, um, so it should be part of the planning. Speaking of agile, um, I think this is some kind of summary. Uh, I think it's important to understand that that documentation and, and verbal communication aren't, aren't opposed to each other, and agile methods stress the importance of for. Verbal communication, and I'll second that. Uh, and and they also uh, suggest that a, a smaller amount of, of written documentation uh, is probably a good idea. And I wholeheartedly agree. And, and I think that uh, that uh, written documentation and and verbal communication really uh, complement each other, not. Uh, not not alternatives, but they really really complement each other. And agile is an attitude uh, more than a set of techniques. Agile is uh, an attitude that is probably best described by if and, and do the right thing, do the things that are really important. Think about what really matters and, and do that. And if you apply that. Uh, attitude, documentation, you probably end up with, with documents that are useful, maybe not very many, but with a set of, of, of documents that are useful and, and will help you, your project in the later stages or even future projects. Is it too far of a stretch if I'd say that you can even maybe apply more of the agile practices? Like, for example, you could have customer on site means customer reviews documents. You could do pair writing. You do test-driven development in the sense that, I mean, it's probably a stretch, but um, in the sense that you first decide what the goals are of what you want to document. You define the audience. You define what you want to achieve, and then you write the documentation. And there are probably more agile techniques that could be paraphrased for, for documentation. I guess you can, yeah. Um, agile is a set of techniques, but I say it's, it's mostly an attitude. Yes. But, but yeah, it's it's a it's a set of techniques. But these techniques are not not techniques in in the sense of software development, but techniques in how to to deal with each other in a project, how to to manage your your work and your workload, how to to collaborate on a team, and. These techniques apply to documentation all the same. That's right. Okay, so I guess this wraps up that episode. Um, thank you for listening and thanks, Andreas, for being on the show. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for listening to Software Engineering Radio. 
If you want to get more information about Software Engineering Radio or if you want to give us feedback, please go to our website at se-radio.net. You can also contact the team at team at se-radio.net, although we prefer entries in our comments system on the website so other people can see what you think. Software Engineering Radio wants to thank Henning Pauli for the intro and outro music, as well as Lipson for providing the bandwidth. This episode of SE Radio, as well as all other episodes, is licensed under Creative Commons license. See the Software Engineering Radio website for details.